Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Uh, Yes, normally I would be ready to go this coming Tuesday to restart uh, a brand new season of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, but because of the death of superstar footballer from Brazil, Pele, I I had to do a show. It's not just because he is or right now was one of the best players that have ever played this game. But we cannot forget what he has done for this game in the United States when he accepted a contract for the New York Cosmos in the North American Soccer League, and how his presence alone exploded the popularity of soccer in this country. And not to say that him by himself discovered the game for us, because we've had this game before, and it has done well before he came, and of course after he played. But the truth is, if he did not come to the United States, to North America, and to really make that giant leap to push this game forward the way it should, I honestly don't think we can really say that the World Cup that would not be coming in 1994. That the belief bringing in all these famous players from Europe, from Mexico, from South America to come to our shores, to come to Major League Soccer after displaying themselves in front of us and in front of the entire world back in 1994. Because that dream, that dream, honestly, really, really is just amazing to see. And what he did on the pitch, granted, AstroTurf at Giant Stadium, natural grass at time at Yankee Stadium, painted field at Downing Stadium. All you can say is that what he did for the sport 
and of course all and all the grass fields and the soccer stadiums and excuse me I shouldn't say the soccer stadiums but the NFL stadiums the college NFL stadiums even baseball stadiums before we can ever build soccer specific stadiums this man has done something that I don't think we would ever get to to move forward, leaving a legacy, not just for himself, just for Brazil, but for the smiles that he continued to show us in every situation. I have personally not met the man at all. I've never met him. But I didn't see him twice, once in person at Giant Stadium, and then another time, but unfortunately was not there when the Metro Stars were around because it was a video message to remember Cosmos when the Metro Stars took on the Tampa Bay Rowdies, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, and that's when the Mutiny wore the colors of the Rowdies. And the Metro Stars wore the colors of the Cosmos in throwback jerseys. But when Giant Stadium was filled for that New York Red Bull takeover at Giant Stadium for the home opener, and they brought in past Metro Stars uh, players like Miles Joseph, Tab Ramos, Tony Miola, uh, Giovanni Savarese, Roberto Donadoni, and a few others. They also remembered the New York Cosmos. And when Pele walked out of the tunnel above Section 101 of Giant Stadium, roar was immensely loud. This man, I don't know how old he was back then, maybe in his late 60s, early 70s, maybe in his mid-70s, but this man could still draw a crowd no matter what. This man had you at his fingertips, whether it's in Portuguese or in English. Pele knew that if you ever saw him live, if you have ever seen any of his highlights, no matter how good or how bad or how deteriorated the film might have been, You just sat there and you watched in awe for what he was able to do back then in the 60s, the late 50s, the, the, the 60s, and even in the early 70s. What he did for his club in Brazil in Santos, what he did for the NASL, and especially with the New York Cosmos 
this man. There's nothing much more you can say, but you got to keep saying it because it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing to hear and to see what he has done. And you also know the kindness, the gentleness when you shake his hand, when he speaks to you about football, about life. Out of all the things he must have seen. And let's also not forget the movie he made with English actor Michael Caine and American actor Sylvester Stallone called Escape to Victory, detailing prisoners of war during the Second World War against the Nazis where they played a football game wearing old-fashioned jerseys, replicas, of course, World War II soccer boots, football boots, and somehow finding or recreating an old-fashioned football how they used to look. And not the ones that we notice now, the white balls with the black um, hexagonal spots all over the ball or the five-sided panels, those little black five-sided panels all over a white ball. We're talking about the old leather brown balls that you still see on some of these crests, clubs in Europe, like at Barcelona, these other clubs, like in Mexico, in Brazil, in Argentina, in Colombia, anywhere around the world. Those old-fashioned little footballs that are on, on the shields, the crests of each and every club around the world outside of the United States. If you remember when Major League Soccer began or even when the NASL was around, there were soccer balls in the crest, but not like how they were Back in the day, it was more the modern version. The white ball with the blue spots, with the five-sided panels, with the red stars on the inside. That was the New York Cosmos. That was the Dallas Tornadoes. Or the updated balls in the 94 World Cup, beginning Major League Soccer in 1996, when the Kansas City Wizards were then... Or Sporting Kansas City was then the Kansas City Wiz. Or when D.C. United had the three soccer balls inside the stars, presented Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia. And the original San Jose Earthquakes MLS logo as well. 
and we're talking about the blue and black one, not when it was the San Jose Clash. That's what I'm talking about. Or the crayon logo of the New England Revolution, which the Stars and Stripes was a soccer ball. I should say the, stri- the red and white stripes with the red crayon and the blue soccer ball was also crayon colored. All you can say is this. Pele was extraordinary. He was magical. And even though Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo can do those things as well these days, and the modern footballer can do that these days, Pele was the original. Pele was the first. And we will never, ever see a man like that ever again. Tonight is the show to discuss Pele. We first go to those that are from native Brazil. Couldn't come on live with us tonight, but very glad to have recorded this interview with a new colleague of mine who covers the New York Red Bulls for Territorio MLS. He is also from Brazil. Uh, in this recorded interview is Mr. Gustavo Guimaras. And here is that interview with him right now. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the American Soccer Show as we continue on with our special edition. Uh, and joining me tonight to talk about the wonderful man who did so much for this wonderful game in Pele, uh, my colleague covering the New York Red Bulls, Mr. Gustavo Guimarães. Uh, representing Territorio MLS, to, the Brazilian native, to talking about his countryman Pele. Gustavo, thank you for your time. And obviously, it, it's probably been a day of mourning, a day of celebrations uh, for the entire country of Brazil after the loss of the great king of football, Pele. Hi, Dan. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about Pelé. You know, uh, it's been bad, but it's been uh, also a moment, uh, an opportunity to see the great things he has done throughout his career and life. Pelé is a national hero for us and will always be treated the way he deserves. You know, whenever we get an opportunity to watch the, the you know the, the the past of some of these fantastic players who have graced the football pitch to see what Pele did back then in the sixties and also um, also in in his final World Cup in nineteen seventy in Mexico when finally under television j- just to see his beautiful moves his pageantry, the, the art, or shall we say the dirty, you know, the dark arts, you might say, um, of him with the ball that footballers do now in today's game. What does that say about a man who is ahead of his time that you can compare now, like what Cristiano Ronaldo has done with Portugal and Lionel Messi has done with Argentina? It amazes me. It amazes me how someone can be so gifted you know, for me, it's something that I believe in God. God gave it to him and made him unique. 
the things he did back in the 60s, late 50s, throughout the 60s and 70s. Uh, you see players doing it now, and the guy has done back in those days, and it's like, wow, how can someone be so ahead of time? Why? Why this guy? And he was so physically talented, too. He was strong. He was built. You could see the muscles in a time where physical preparation was not what it is today, too. So that gave him a certain advantage. And plus the talent. It's, it's beyond my uh, imagination. Uh, I grew up listening. My, uh, my most fond memories about Pelé I, have with, I had with my grandfather. And just to listen to him talking about seeing Pelé at the stadium, you know, I, I used to go crazy just to listen, just to listening to my grandpa. And so grew up watching videos uh, on TV and then internet came and YouTube. And I was, I'm still amazed. Uh, I, it's a completely loss of words to describe how Pelé was and is for us Brazilians. You know, it, it's really amazing when you hear the story uh, about him consoling his father when Brazil loses the 1950 World Cup final to Uruguay, where he tells his dad, don't worry, I'm going to do it one day to win the World Cup for you and, and for the country, uh, when he was just you know, nine years old, and then he absolutely does it for his very first World Cup, and then, of course, two more after that, uh, unfortunately being eliminated in 1966 when England won the World Cup. But, uh, you know, what does that say about someone who tells, a child that tells his father uh, that's probably a pipe dream, you know, back in those times when he was just a little boy, and then he actually does it on the biggest stage in world football? It gives me goosebumps, honestly. Just to listen to you, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, seven uh, seven years after that, you know, no no, eight years after he said those things to his father, he actually did it. Not in Brazil, in Europe, against Sweden, scoring beautiful goals in the final throughout the whole tournament, but specifically in the final. It's something that uh, there's no way to describe. That's the reality. How can someone say that to his father and actually do it? It's it's crazy. You, you know, uh, I, I I just imagine the sadness of his father when Brazil lost to Uruguay at home in a game where they didn't have to win. Just the tie was enough. Just draw against Uruguay and you will be the world champion in your own country, in your own territory. And then those things happen. I think everything happens for a reason. Probably that was meant to be that way. So Pelé could tell, say that to his father and do it. It, it just uh, enriches his history, you know, his legacy and uh, the passion for the game. Uh, there is a book called Why Soccer Matters. I had the opportunity to read. I, will, uh, I hope everybody do the same too. Where he tells how he grew up uh, watching his father, practicing with his, fa- with his father, getting to know better the game with his father, telling what his father 
doing what his father told him to. So the relationship between those two were so special, the bond, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic uh, uh, story nowadays. Now it's not in the past, but it's a fantastic thing to do. Obviously, we always talk about Pele when it comes to the national team for Brazil, but obviously he played the majority of his career with Santos FC. Um, what, what is Santos like before him? If you if you know, what were they with him, and, and what how have they been uh, after him uh, with Pele dominating Brazilian you know first division football? Then of course. Uh, when they took on the mighty Benfica for the, uh, you know, whenever Europe would always, the best European winners, club winners would take on the best South American club winners after, I guess, Champions League and Libertadores. Santos was, before Pelé, a, a, a regional soccer team, you know, uh, from Sao Paulo, not Sao Paulo, the capital, from Sao Paulo, from the countryside. And uh, obviously, huge fan base now, one of the biggest in Brazil. But before then, just like any other team, we didn't have a national soccer team like we have nowadays. You do have Flamengo, you have Corinthians, those huge fan bases in the whole country. But back then, it wasn't like that. Pelé made Santos become the greatest soccer team in the whole world. He changed completely the level of the, the, the team, the club. Just one player. Also, they had great players that played with him. We can talk about Coutinho, we can talk about Zizou, all those legendary players too. But him, he made the Santos the greatest soccer team in the whole world. How can one player, only one player do that? You have to be gifted, you have to be so talented. You have to be almost like a Pelé. It's impossible to be like a Pelé. Messi came close, but Pelé will always be Pelé. And uh, it's also very sad for Santos, too, because you see someone like him wearing the number 10, and you always expect the number 10 to do something different. In Brazil, we grew up like that. The number 10 is the guy that you expect something special. But uh, for the Santos fans, I, I, especially the old ones, I keep thinking, oh, this guy probably today, he suffers a lot. He suffers a lot because he's not getting what he expected, what he had. So it's, it's sad, too. I, I, I think about that side of the, 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 the life nowadays for those guys. But Santos became great, the greatest soccer team back then will always be famous worldwide. Uh, probably is up there with the national team too when it comes to Pelé. And then comes the Cosmos. It's, it's funny because uh, in this book I just told you why soccer matters. He says he came to the U.S. because he made some bad business in Brazil and he needed money. So the contract, almost $7 million per year, it was... Uh, the biggest uh, sports contract back in the day. So he accepted the challenge to come here and um, play with the Cosmos and um, make the soccer, the sport, grew a lot uh, among the U.S. So 
I have a special uh, feeling about the Cosmos too. You know, all, all the Brazilians, and now not only the Santos fans, they have uh, they look at the Cosmos with uh, a sweet eye. You know what I mean? Even though the Cosmos, uh, they are not playing currently. They are not playing, but uh, we have. Uh, special moments with Santos, with the national team, and with Cosmos too. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, what what type of magic do you think Pele has, or even had, not just as a player, but after his playing days, as a as a world football ambassador? What is it about that man who continues to have that golden smile? that makes everyone so happy about him? Well, uh, he was the first uh, worldwide uh, soccer player, right? We can call him that too. And uh, after his career, obviously the things he has done in the field made him famous. But after his career, I see Pelé as a guy that never refused to take a picture with someone, to to, to, to talk with someone, even my friends, my colleagues in Brazil, the journalists that I have relationships with that got to interview him, they always say uh, he was always a gentleman. Always a gentleman uh, treating people, dealing with people. So that makes him even special because he could have been uh, a guy that didn't want to talk to people, didn't want to get bothered by people. But he chose the, the other way. He was sweet. He was attentive. And uh, that, makes him, that made him even uh, special, in my opinion. It really, it really did. And, you know, it, it's, you know it, it, it's really a shame that he's no longer with us after everything he's done. I know he was sick. The colon cancer treatments were not working. Um, his body refused the um, the treatments, and just really a shame. I mean, even I, I'm not ashamed to admit I almost broke down crying three separate times. And even though I I never saw him play uh, in person, or I was born in '73, so I didn't really see him play play uh, until maybe the Cosmos had a. Uh, we, what we would call old timers day for baseball, bringing back the greats. And he came back for one of those uh, in front of everybody at giant stadium. And that's the only time I ever saw him play uh, at a, uh, shall we say, uh, remembering the old stars of the cosmos back in the day. Um, but uh, the couple of times I did see him, uh, I guess at giant stadium, when the Metro stars were turned into the New York Red Bulls and he came back to giant stadium, that was, that was a beautiful thing. But, uh, We'll never, ever see a man like that ever again, but I would say the current stars can't come close to what he accomplished himself, uh, both on the club side and on the international side of this great game. Well, then, uh, I'm like you, too. I was born in 83, and uh, in my case, I had the opportunity to watch him play uh, when he celebrated 50 years. 50 years old, he, Brazil had a game in Italy. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Brazil against the world, world Stars. He played the first half, 45 minutes. And for me, 
it was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm watching the greatest soccer player ever. I hadn't had this opportunity, but now somehow I'm watching him play, and it was so much fun. I remember being so sad when he didn't come back for the second half, and I was amazed. Could he play another game, another game? When? When it's going to be? It never, it never happened after that. But just to think about that day, it, it, it brings these miles, you know. I remember just like it was yesterday. Uh, and that's the good thing about Pelé. He brings his smile to everyone's faces. Yes, he does. And sadly, it's been extinguished. And hopefully, uh, his family as well. And uh, and we can all uh, remember fondly of his uh, of his great career. Gustavo, listen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, coming on to talk about Pele and what he meant, not just for Brazil, but for all of world football. That how he meant for all of us. Thank you for your time and. Uh, I uh, can't wait to see you in the press box this season for uh, Red Bulls games at, at Red Bull Arena. Dan, I do appreciate this opportunity to talk about Pelé. It's been a pleasure. And just to uh, finalize, uh, when um, Pelé died on that day, I saw Coach Struber online. Uh, he made a story on Instagram about Pelé, right? So I wrote a message to him, and I said, as a Brazilian, Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. And he answered me. Uh, I didn't expect that. He answered me back. He said, for me, he was pure inspiration as a human being and as a player. So it's good to see people from all over the world, you know, uh, caring about a soccer player, a legendary soccer player, the greatest ever, and also the human being. That made me uh, uh, happy and not so sad. It didn't let me feel so sad doing uh, uh, that December day. But it's been good. I hope to see you too. And I uh, can't wait to finally meet you in person too. Absolutely. Have a good day. Thank you. And joining me right now is a good friend of mine. Uh, he is the historian of the New York Cosmos. And uh, this is Dr. David Kilpatrick joining me right now. David... Um, for yourself personally, when you talk about this man, when you talk about Pele, not only as an international footballing superstar, but what he did for New York City and for what he did for this game in this country, what words can you think of right now when you talk about this man? Oh, what words? One word, love. He said love, 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 October 1st, 1977, when he said farewell to the game. And so, uh, you know, over this past week, really the uh, only word that comes to mind is just that, love. Absolutely. And what was it about him that, you know, We've watched, I mean, obviously I didn't, I would assume you have, you know, you watched him for Brazil in the 1970 World Cup, and that was the first World Cup uh, that was seen on television. Everything else was like basically film. Um, When you saw him perform and win for Brazil for their third World Cup championship, and then you get to see him at Downing Stadium, and then you see him at Yankee Stadium. And then you see him at the Meadowlands at Giant Stadium. 
did you feel it's what was advertised that was right in front of you? Well, uh, I'm, I'm afraid, Daniel, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old. Uh, I was born in 68. Uh, so I, I didn't ever get a chance to see Pele play live. Uh, I did on TV. Um, I did get to see him play on TV, but I never actually got to go and, and see him play live. Um, although I, you know, went to school with my Pele lunchbox and uh, idolized him and jumped at the chance to wear the number 10 shirt as soon as I possibly could. Um, you know, it, it was uh, a matter of, you know, seeing the film clips and especially the, uh, uh, the instructional film, uh, Pelé, the master and his method. Um, and the, the beautiful game, you know, the autobiography, um, that, that came out in 77 as well. Um, hugely impactful to me, the, 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 um, instructional film Pelé, the master and his method, uh, yeah, we got to see that a couple times as kids watching it in the school gym, and um, every single frame of that film really went right deep into my mind. And um, uh, you know, from from the the time he arrived uh, in New York, it uh, made me aware of the cosmos and identify with the cosmos and the cosmos, which in many ways opened me up to the rest of the world. Um, just the very word cosmos and cosmopolitan and the, uh, the, the countries that all the players had come from. Um, it was, you know, the attention brought uh, by Pelé coming to the club that uh, really got me uh, obsessed with, with the team uh, and, and uh, you know, loving it, uh, falling in love with the game as a fan um, and as a player. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's it's been a it's been a, a difficult week to to process everything in terms of the influence this this man made. But so and you know I have to say though if you're asking about style of play and things like that, you know we were because of the film because you know you could see the the highlights of the '70 World Cup and and uh, you know the the highlights of his play with Santos and then obviously on on what you could see on TV of the Cosmos. Um, you know, he, he, he creative force, but he was also incredibly powerful and he was always doing this with everyone on the other team, marking him heavily. It's not like, uh, he was given loads of space, uh, when he came to the NASL and he scored, what was it? 64 goals in 106 games, I believe for us. Um, you know, that's still more than a goal every other game, which is kind of the gold standard for any striker. And that's also, you know, with Canalia in the lineup, uh, the second and third years he was here. So, you know, Canalia was taking a lion's share uh, of the goals, obviously, once once he came to New York. And um, but the, the the point is, is that maybe he wasn't at his absolute peak, um, but he was still the greatest player ever. And that that greatness was, was evident on the field uh, here in New York and all around the country and all around the world when he traveled with the Cosmos spreading his gospel of the beautiful game. Absolutely. I'm just curious to know because, you know, when, when, you know, Brazil, I mean, excuse me, I shouldn't say Brazil, but when Pele never played in Europe and I'm, and I'm not slighting him for that, obviously, look, I think we can all understand and we can also appreciate that Brazilian football was probably at its highest peak of technical ability and that he never wanted to leave 
Santos at all, and he spent most of his uh, you know career there before uh, his financial issues were uh, you know made aware of to the public, and then he came over here. Um, when you talk to p- players like Franz Beckenbauer, who was you know prominent with the German national team and has probably seen him play on an international level with Pele, but when he was maybe with Pele finally with the Cosmos, what did he say to you, or if you ever did get in touch with him, what did he say about finally being a teammate of Pele's with the Cosmos in the NASL? Well, I, I've, I've never spoken with Beckenbauer directly about Pele. Um, you know, in my conversation with Beckenbauer, uh, uh, that's never, you know, that, 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 that talking about Pele and what he was like didn't come up. But, um, you, know, you know, Beckenbauer made it abundantly clear that his time at the Cosmos was the, uh, the best of his career, and uh, the thing that drew him here was Pelé. Now, they did play against each other, and, and Pelé uh, was, was quite a handful for Beckenbauer. He was well aware of his greatness and wanted to play with the greatest. Um, and all of his former teammates, um, to, to a man – idolize him the love his teammates have for him is really overflowing uh and they all feel that way every single uh player uh who is on those teams in 75 76 77 uh they all absolutely love the man um and uh you know that again just speaks to the the way in which he embraced his role as the greatest in the game right he this isn't somebody who acted like a real schmuck off the pitch um, or felt like an entitled brat and uh, um, just, you know, said, leave me to, to play the game. He went out and he did his clinics. He met with everybody, and that never ended, right? You you, you couldn't get from point A to point B on schedule. Um, you'd have to operate on play time, which was you get there when you get there because he never wanted to turn somebody down. You know, I don't think you'll ever find anybody – in this world, of all the people that have met him, I don't think you find one person to say, oh, he was a real jerk to me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say hello to me. He wouldn't sign my autograph. He wouldn't take a photo with me. You just don't hear that. You don't hear it because that's just not the way he was. He really was full of love and, and um, embraced the, the, the sacred role that he had assumed uh, as the, the great exemplar of, of how this – game can be played as an art form. You know, when the Cosmos came back, I mean, really, really came back. I'm not talking about the Kemsley era because to me, I, I, look, I, we, can, we can have arguments about him, you know, till the cows come home and I don't want to really go that, that direction. But when they truly came back and Pele walked out over at Hofstra University on that field with Shep, Messing, Beckenbauer. Um, I don't know if Beckenbauer was there or not, but, I mean, you know, Canalio was there. I think Roberto Carlos was there. Carlos Alberto. And when he yeah. – pardon? Carlos Alberto was there. That's it, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so many other great historical players that, that have played for that uh, crest – that you and I know very well about when he returned to say, I'm back 
with my second home. I'm back to my second home when the cosmos officially came back. You know, what was that like for you to see him face to face and maybe have an opportunity to talk to him? Well, it's a dream come true. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, that's just it um, in terms of, say, you know, carrying on that legacy. There's, there's only three teams he played for, uh, Santos, Brazil, and the New York Cosmos. And um, that legacy matters, and, and um, the club needs to carry on um, to carry on that legacy. Uh, so, you know, I understand, uh, you know, Gianni Infantino's request that every country uh, name a stadium after him has been taken seriously by a couple countries already. Um, you know, it 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 would uh, it would be a shame for a stadium somewhere in the United States uh, for any other club but the Cosmos to uh, have Pelé's name on their stadium. Quite frankly, it would it would just not be quite right. So, you know, in terms of, um, you know, that glorious day of the reboot uh, in uh, 2013, um, where we took on uh, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers to resume play in the revived NASL, um, yeah, the, the, the presence of the King was something that uh, everybody drew inspiration from. Um, and the, the fact that um, the club had gone away diminished the, the, the love and the hearts that all the players and so many of the dedicated fan base uh, kept for, for the club. Um, and I really believe it's important for that legacy to, to carry on and not die out. Now, as everybody knows, besides being a historian for the New York Cosmos, David Kilpatrick is also an American soccer historian with Sash. Uh, so let me throw this question at you as an American soccer historian, David. We all know this game has been around for a long, long time in our country. There's no denying about it. We do have history here in the United States for the game, no matter where it is or where it was played. But can we honestly say that Pele, once he signed that deal with the Cosmos to play with them in the North American Soccer League, did he create a giant push to put this sport into a level that it's never been before until the 94 World Cup. Yeah, it's important for us to really honor the rich history going back to, you know, the mid-19th century um, that, that association football has played here um, in the United States. And anyone unaware of that should, should really – seek out the work of, you know, myself, my colleagues uh, who, who are involved in, in the Society for American Soccer History, just as one resource in terms of telling that um, larger narrative. Um, you know, the, the American Soccer League of the 1920s was one of the best leagues in the world, and, and that's why the U.S. men's national team did so well at the inaugural World Cup uh, in 1930 in Uruguay. Um, but when Pelé arrived in 1975, um, you know, soccer was very much uh, in the margins. Um, you know, it's, it, it's tough to, to think about the fact that um, Century um, 
harness racing was the number one sport in terms of popularity, not baseball, harness racing, right? Uh, and baseball eventually overtook it, but boxing too, in, in terms of its, its primacy. And, uh, you know, baseball is nowhere near as popular as it was in the early 1970s. But um, my father had played soccer um, in the late 1950s, early 1960s. And he taught me how to kick a ball, how to control a ball. Um, in the mid-70s when I came of age to be kicking a ball with. Um, but he did so with a volleyball um, because it wasn't very easy to get a soccer ball, at least not where, where we were living. It wasn't easy to get a soccer ball. Um, but but within a very quick span of time, suddenly I'm going to school with my Pelé lunchbox, and I've got a proper soccer ball to kick against the wall and to kick with my dad in the backyard. Um, so things really changed just in terms of, material culture, right? Um, Suddenly you could get a soccer ball everywhere. Suddenly you didn't just have to get the baseball cleats, you could get soccer cleats, right? Uh, Suddenly you could actually get a pennant and a t-shirt and go see your favorite team. And, you know, so that the transformation of of making soccer part of um, American life, you know, it's it's indisputable to the point, and I, I know I say this uh, an awful lot, he literally changed the landscape of America And that when I was a kid, you'd fly out, you'd look out, you know, on a sunny day out of the window of your airplane, you'd see baseball diamonds. Now you see soccer fields, and there's a soccer field in every every community um, in, in, in this country of ours where boys and girls can, can learn the beautiful game, and that's very much down to play because – that was not the case uh, before he arrived here. Uh, the, the space just wasn't there. Uh, not every village had its own soccer program, but uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a village where kids can't play soccer nowadays. Um, so that effect um, was literally changing the landscape uh, of America, and uh, we owe him a tremendous debt. You know, I was – Thinking back when uh, David Beckham came to Major League Soccer to play for the Galaxy and uh, that first matchup against the New York Red Bulls at Giant Stadium where it was the amazing 5-4 back and forth nine goal victory uh, by the Red Bulls, Uh, you know, we saw... Uh, Clint Mathis score a goal. We saw two goals by uh, Josie Altador and by Juan Pablo Angel. And we saw David Beckham. Yep, yep. And David Beckham with two big assists for the first two goals that was scored. Of course, Landon Ovin had to put a ball in the back of the net. Why not? It's Landon. We all know this. But when it was time to speak to the players and the coaches from both sides, David Beckham came from the – Giant Stadium bubble, where the New York Giants would practice, obviously, whenever it's indoors in the winter months. And then when he came around the back to the podium, and I swear to God, David, I'm not making this up. I saw a glow around David Beckham when he arrived. And I was like, oh, my God. And in my back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, was this like how Pele was with the media? Is this how he is? I mean, yeah. his smile is, is very infectious, but did he have that same glow? Uh, that aura about, yeah. Um, you know, I've bumped into Beckham. Uh, at the, at the MLS uh, 
uh, All-Star uh, week uh, when Red Bull Arena opened that year, um, there was a uh, an event at uh, Herald Square, and uh, uh, there, was, there was like a little penalty shootout thing set up there. And uh, I heard somebody yell, David, David. I turned and uh, bumped into someone, and it was Beckham. I wasn't the David that was being called for. Um, but uh, so I, I bumped into him unknowingly. But uh, um, I do know what you mean. He does He does have a bit of an aura about him. Beckham does, to be sure. But Pelé uh, amplify that exponentially. Um, he really, really had that that presence about him, that glow about him really exuded love. Um, and, you know, some, there's, there's some other, other celebrities who I would say uh, kind of exude that kind of aura. Um, but, uh, you know, Beckham is not even in that orbit that Pelé was in, quite frankly. Uh, and he certainly, yeah, uh, has always had that aura well beyond his playing days. Now, I have to ask you this question. The 1980 Soccer Bowl and the NESL, of course, was on ABC Sports um, at that time. Um, halftime with Pele with Jim McKay. And, of course, uh, that Soccer Bowl championship final in 1980 was at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. Right. Who else with uh, Jim McKay and Pele was the movie actor – Sylvester Stallone, and of course, being involved in the Escape to Victory movie that they did together. Um, and I just saw the full halftime interview that Sylvester Stallone joined in with both McKay and Pele, and how he basically was waxing poetically about the sport <laughs> and basically saying, you know, I bet you, you know, Steve Carlton throws a thousand fastballs at you. I don't think I can hit one. Well, Pele can take you know a thousand penalty kicks, and he would probably score two thousand of them. And how you know he was learning to be the goalkeeper for the movie, and he nearly his head off. And it's on YouTube yeah, actually. Yeah. I shared it on Twitter. So you can go on my Twitter. I shared it. But you know when you have a guy like Sylvester Stallone, who is a very good athlete in his own right, or was very very athletic back then in his youthful days. You know, what does that say about a man uh, who's a Hollywood actor that, you know, admits maybe I've been too ignorant of the sport and it's really a wonderful game to be a part of. I, I, I know the halftime interview you're talking about. Uh, I remember it. Yeah. And my memory of it is, is Stallone's kind of gushing being in Pelé's presence. Right, he was very much in awe of him, and uh, yeah, if anybody hasn't seen Victory, as we like to call it here in America, or Escape to Victory, as it's known uh, overseas, um, it's it's a it's a real delight, and uh, um, you know, Pelé's uh, not to not to give any plot spoilers, but uh, uh, Pelé you know does his uh, patented uh, bicicleta and. Uh, it's just such a really fun, fun uh, film, which again really came out of that whole uh, Cosmos environment, right? The the uh, arch villain on the on the German side is, of course, none other than uh, our captain, Pelé's captain, number four, Werner Roth, right? Werner uh, Werner is fantastic in that film too. So uh, you've got a lot of uh, um, great players from that generation. Uh, playing cameo roles on on the teams there in in, in the camp, uh, but it's it's a really fun film and 
Um, yeah, uh, from that interview, you know, Stallone uh, tells that story of, uh, you know, being kind of freaked out by a, by a kick uh, from Pelé. But, again, you know, that's another thing. It just kind of, you know, as you were saying, that story reminding me of, you know, the fact that you know, Pelé was a tremendous goalkeeper himself. Um, you know, nowadays where we're allowing as many as five subs in the elite level of the game, um, you know, back in, you know, through most of Pelé's career, there were no substitutes. So if the goalkeeper was injured at Santos, Pelé was the one who went in goal. And he would very often take goalkeeper uh, training after uh, after training sessions with the Cosmos. Uh, he'd still like to get in goal. Um, he was just that brilliant of an athlete, uh, that fantastic of a, of a physical and intellectual uh, specimen, really, just um, he would have been successful in anything he did. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, he was, he was a lot of fun in the movies too. He was a movie star and movie stars like Sylvester Stallone were in awe of him. And that is amazing to, uh, to hear that. It's amazing. Uh, David, if I can get some final thoughts from you, what, what, what would you say about this man that graced us on the pitch? Uh, um, not just what he's done for Brazil club, you know, for Santos, but what he's done for soccer, for football in America, and to give us the boost that we needed to put this sport in front of the spotlight. Well, I think, you know, um, he, he could have played in Europe if he really wanted to. Um, you know, there were clubs in Italy and Spain that were trying to lure him out of retirement as well. And, while uh, Brazil had identified him as a national treasurer, and yes, Kissinger and the State Department uh, tried to ease uh, things with the Brazilian government to, to pave the way to let him come here. Um, as Clive Toy told him repeatedly, um, if you go to Spain or Italy, um, you could win a championship. But if you come to the Cosmos, you can win a country. And that's exactly what he did. Um, as I said, there isn't a there isn't a community in this country where you can't play soccer now, and you know you can see the effect uh, from the mid 1970s that that Pelé effect. Um, but you know I would say, um, you know, as, as someone who was really blessed to have been able to give Pelé a hug, right? Uh, really, really, really blessed to have had the chance uh, to tell him how much he meant to me. Um, and, you know, I didn't know him very well. I didn't spend a lot of time with him or anything like that, but I did get the chance to do that. And, um, I have to tell you, you know, his kindness, his grace, his courtesy, um, his consideration, um, you know, there were a lot of times where I was around, I, I didn't want to bother him, uh, you know, um, I just didn't want to bother him out of respect because people were constantly, constantly haranguing him, but he never, ever showed any irritation ever once, ever. And I don't know anyone who's ever said, oh, he can be a real, uh, you know, a real diva. No, no one's ever said that about Pelé. His kindness was that genuine, that authentic. And to me, the people that really matter the most on this uh, are the, you know, the, the people that played with him, uh, the people on the team with him, and, and, and Clive Toy, um, the, the man that brought him to the Cosmos. You know, and speaking with him a couple times in the past week, um, speaking, in, you know, with players in the last few days, the, the past week, um, they're all just 
so sad uh, to have lost him, but so incredibly grateful to have uh, have been a part of his life and to have Pelé be part of their lives. They're just so grateful, every single one of them. Um, and again, it's that legacy of love um, that you know that 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 someone from an impoverished background can just be blessed and that that blessing can be recognized and, and to go from obscurity um, to global celebrity at the grandest scale. Um, is there anyone more famous when, when he passed away than he, was there anyone more famous than Pelé could name a few rivals, right? You could name a few rivals for that popularity, that celebrity over a sustained period of time. And you see the outpouring of grief around the world. And, you know, I have to confess, I was a little bit irritated going into this World Cup hearing these, what we now call the GOAT debates, whether, you know, it seems like that debate between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi is is well and settled. Um, But, you know, Pelé's passing has been a powerful reminder that, that the original greatest was Pelé. And uh, he's someone who embraced that role in a way that Diego Maradona never embraced, that Cristiano Ronaldo has never embraced, that even Messi has never embraced in terms of being an example of, of the very best of the game, um, the, the creativity, the joy. Jogo Benito, right, that um, this beautiful game played beautifully and, it, and, and to live a life so beautifully. Um, one quote that I heard him say, uh, you know, that, that was played in, in the, the hour or so uh, right after the news uh, emerged that he had passed was him saying that, you know, if, if God was to tell him to live this life again, he would say, yes, yes, please, please. What a life he lived. What a life he lived. So many people he impacted. Again, that message of love, love, love. Um, you know, he, he, he shared so much with the world, and uh, um, I'm grateful to have been in his presence, and uh, I'm really grateful that he, that he came to New York and, and helped make the beautiful game um, what it is today here and, and, and all around the world. I can say this, David. I think they should go to the 21 Club and put a plaque where Pele was in one of those rooms that Pele was signed by the Cosmos so he can start his NASL career, that's for sure. That, that's what I think that Absolutely. should happen. Absolutely. Yeah. David, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time once again. I always appreciate it and hope to have you back on again very soon. Have a good night, my friend. Always great talking to you again. Take care. Bye. Thank you. That's Dr. David Kilpatrick, historian of the New York Cosmos well, American soccer historian for the Society of American Soccer History, SASH. Uh, finally, in a recorded interview, actually, um, this was on YouTube, and for those of you that are familiar with Tim Vickery, he is a BBC Sports South American reporter, and believe me, he's probably had many, many opportunities to interview Pele um, living in South America, living in Brazil. And he was being interviewed by Mr. Mick McCarthy uh, for the Off the Ball show on Sky Sports. So I wanted to record this because I wanted to hear what Tim Vickery had to say about Pele and, and you know, just just how awe Pele was and throughout the history that he played a part in, not just 
for this world game, but you know what he has meant uh, as a figure for his country and for as a figure for this game worldwide. And here is that recorded interview that I did right now. But it's delighted to be joined by Tim Vickery in Brazil. Tim, I know it's been a crazy 24 hours. You've been on the go constantly since this news broke, but uh, you're very good to give some of your times off the ball today. My pleasure, my pleasure. And what a subject we've got to talk about because so much of this is a tribute to what we spend our time doing. We're talking here about someone who was born only 52 years after Brazil abolished slavery and who leaves the scene acclaimed as the undisputed king of the global game, which is a tribute both to Pelé and to the nature of football itself, in that it's democratic, you don't need money, you don't need sophisticated equipment, you just get out there, a boy or a girl, with a dream. And uh, how many now are following in, in Pelé's footsteps? Yeah. It's unbelievable. I might come back to that, that topic, actually, on, on slavery and Pelé's blackness in, in, in a minute. But um, I suppose we can do the sort of deep dive into Pelé's career and life another day and, and when, when things have cooled down. And I suppose tonight, just want to focus on a couple of things, not least the reaction in Brazil, because, like, I mean, we're hearing three days official mourning. You know, that's on the, that's on the scale of, uh, like, you know, the Queen dying in the UK almost. You know what I mean? This is... You talked to Joe when Pele was sick during the World Cup when we were talking about Messi and everything, and you're saying, you know, that there is there is a, I suppose there is a distance to Pele. You know, like, a, you know, you were saying, like, he, you know, it's 50 years since he's played, and it, it might not be that connection in relation to what, like, Maradona and Argentina have, but I suppose, have you seen, I suppose what you've seen today, has it surprised you in any way how deep and visceral it's been? No, it, it's less visceral than Argentina with Maradona. Okay. Because of that reason of, of connection, uh, Maradona was such a spontaneous character. You know, he's there in the stadium, he takes his shirt off and he's swirling it around his head as he leads the chance and he's carried away by the emotion of the moment and he falls down and he gets up again and he falls down and he gets up again and, uh, and that, that made him readily easy, uh, easy to identif identify with as perhaps was the case in Brazil with Gahincha. You know, yeah. Pele and Gahincha played for Brazil together for eight years and, and they, they never lost a game. Um, but Pele is a different kind of person and this is in no way a criticism when I say he's more calculated because what I'm really saying is he's, he's so much better at the administration of, of his own life. So that, that, that's a life skill um, but it does mean that there's a, there's a certain distance. So there is absolutely no lack of love, reverence for Pelé. And I found in one of the papers today, Estado uh, de São Paulo, from the state of São Paulo, where, uh, where Pelé lived uh, and died. Uh, and the front cover is a, is a picture there. Of, it's saying Pelé has died if Pelé can actually die. And you turn inside and you read the shout line. Like the gods of Olympus, Pele doesn't get old or die. He will always be alive, marked in global memory as the Brazilian who used football to make humanity dream. And I think that's probably the best local summing up of the mood that, um, that, that I've come across. And there is huge pride, unbelievable pride, that the media all around the world is talking about him. Mm. 
Um, they're proud of the fact that we're having this discussion now. When last night, as the European media went to press, you know, uh, social media on Brazil was full of the front covers of the European papers. And look at the, look at the tributes they're paying to our Pelé, the greatest diplomat they ever had, the man who really put Brazil on, on the map. Um, so it, it goes very deep, but it's not quite the visceral, emotional contact with the same depth that Argentina had with Maradona, which is partially the fact that Maradona was 20 years younger. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, there's generations there with more contact. But also this difference in personalities, I think, is, is, is a big part of it. Because, as I'm saying, some Brazilians had that, that, that uh, kind of relationship with, with Gahincha, who was another one who wasn't very good at administering his life. And perhaps for that reason, could be easily, uh, uh, e more easily identified with, by, by some of the population. Yeah, and certainly didn't mean to compare either because it's two unique characters and, and, and Pele in his own regard. You mentioned, though, like putting Brazil on the map. You know, when we think of football, this is such a simplistic thing to say, but there is, a, as you're a kid, you think of football, you think of the World Cup, you think of Brazil. Like, Brazil would have been a pretty good footballing nation anyway without Pele, but I don't think they would have been that. They wouldn't have been the Brazil that we know and think of without this one man. Is that a fair, fair thing to say? It's totally fair. And these, these little simple starting points for questions, I think, are the best starting points for questions. Uh, and let's, let's remember just how quick this process was. We have a nine-year-old kid shocked as he watches his dad in tears listening on the radio as Brazil lose the 1950 World Cup final to Uruguay. And this nine-year-old kid says to his dad, leave it to me, I'm going to put that right. You fast forward just 20 years... I'm old enough to know how little time 20 years is. Yeah. And you think, what has changed in those 20 years when Pelé leaves the international scene after Mexico 70? Well, first of all, in 50, Brazil was, was still wearing white. They weren't even wearing those, those yellow shirts that have mm. become so iconic. And they became iconic in 12 years. Uh, so that, that's number one. Number two, Pelé leaves the scene and Brazil have won three World Cups. They hadn't won any. They weren't even top dogs in, in, in South America. Uh, and so they have become, in the course of three World Cups, they become the country that everyone wants to be for four weeks, every four years. They're the country that wins. They're the country that wins in style. They're the country that wins in style with a smile on their face. All of that's Pelé. Why wouldn't you want to be Pelé? <laughs> and that's in just 20 years. Yeah. No. And the, the pace of that change is absolutely astonishing. And we come out of that into the new world. Remember, 1950, we're talking about his dad listening on the radio and Brazil playing in white. Mm. Colour TV. Well, TV. Mm. You know, yeah, a, a TV suddenly appeared in my house <laughs> for the 1970 World Cup. It was black and white. I was just turned five. I was, I was too young for it. Um, but we were part of that, that, that global audience. Uh, and uh, think of the, the wonder of those images. Mm. Glistening in the, in, in, the, in the afternoon sunshine of Mexico. They've got an ethereal, other world quality. Even the sound of the, the TV and the radio commentators, it's got uh, an ethereal quality. And at the time, it was, a link was so often made between Brazil winning the 70 World Cup and the moon landing a few months earlier. Because those images, obviously, they have an ethereal, other world quality. Uh, and these are two massive TV events bringing the world together. 
And as a result of Mexico 70, the world acquires, and very, very quickly, the habit of sitting down every four years to watch the World Cup. So it's Pelé who helps create that habit. Yeah. Uh, so it's not just a case of, and his mission might have been Brazil, the mission that he explained to his dad when he was nine, but it turns into a global mission as well because he changes, he changes geopolitics because the World Cup is geopolitics. Uh, I found it very fitting and appropriate, I think, that the last lucid days of his life were spent while the World Cup was happening in Qatar mm. because it was a chance for the great and the good gathered there in Qatar to send a message of love and appreciation to effectively the man who built their house. Yeah, it was very interesting, actually, even at the time, kind of, you know, because we were having this messy moment that everybody talked about as defining his legacy. And it's funny how football just seems to have this circular nature and its own history is always so important. And for this to be happening as the messy moment was happening, I just found it really interesting. How interested, Tim, was Pele in those kind of conversations? How interested? I thought, like, he was one of those people that I think always came across as very humble in conversation, but not necessarily as a sportsman. Was he interested in the Pantheon conversations and his place in it? Oh. Obsessed. Oh, was he interested? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, would go, I would go much further. Now, here we're beginning, and you've, you've brought up, I think, a wonderful point, uh, how often people talk of his humility. And again, I don't wish to criticise him on this in any way. Yeah. But he was a genius at public relations as well. Yeah. Because... The, the, the humility doesn't apply to his own conception of himself as a footballer. And why should it? You don't get as good at anything, let alone something as competitive as football, without really having something about you, without really having an edge to you. And, and Pelé, uh, he was a ferocious guardian of his, of his own legacy. Mm. And he, he, he hated anyone being placed close to him. And he had all kinds of swipes at Maradona for off-the-field activities or for being limited to the left foot. Uh, you know, Messi, he said, you know, when you've scored as many goals as I have, we can talk. Um, oh, yes. I mean, he's, uh, there's, there's nothing modest about this. And part of that humility that he projects is a man utterly secure of his place in the pantheon, although always in the back of his mind worried. Mm. Um, going in, it, it seems either funny or sad to think about this now, but going into the 2006 World Cup, there was huge hype in Brazil that this was the moment when Ronaldinho was going to prove that he was better than Pelé. Uh, and, uh, well, we know it didn't happen. And mm. Essentially, that the entire career turns on the disappointment of, of that World Cup. First game against Croatia, Brazil struggled to a, to a laboured 1-0 win and Pelé can't wait to run across to the Brazilian press and say how poor Ronaldinho had been so don't come anywhere near me pal because yeah. that's my space and, and, and he loved that I mean just on, on this issue I've got, I have in front of me an interview um, that he gave this is when his film came out June of 2004 and uh, he's placed in the context of 1960s celebrities uh, the Beatles, the Stones, Che Guevara, Martin Luther King. Uh, he adds Muhammad Ali to that list. And he says, always talking himself in the third person, he says, Pele was superior to all of them. Uh, this is an example, I think. I'm going to show you the headline, if, if anyone's watching this. The headline there is, I was more popular than the Beatles. 
and it, it, it shows how often journalism, sports journalism, missed the story with, with Pelé. Because that's not the story. The story is he declares himself in his interview superior to Martin Luther King. Yeah. On the grounds that Martin Luther King got involved with politics, whereas the message of Pelé is restricted to sports and therefore is, 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 is entirely positive. Um, so, what about that? that? Rather blow- yeah, sorry. Well, that, that rather blows out, uh, out of the water the idea of humble, humble, humble. Sure. No, he wasn't and he shouldn't have been humble. But I think that statement indicates someone who spent too long being surrounded by someone who uh, being surrounded by people who are going to agree with everything you say. It's yeah. Not healthy for anyone. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I saw also like I mean we don't need to get into the the kind of the, there's a lot of conversation to be had I guess about Pele's politicalness or lack of it or you know refusal to get involved in certain things and I suppose it is in some ways it, it feels in these days the way we approach the world now and the way we've been talking about Messi for the last few weeks, it does feel like a bit of a mark against them, but it's something that we could probably get into again. What I'm interested in, actually, and you mentioned at the start about he was born however many years after the end of slavery. Pele, in a country that I don't think is without racial issues, and you know a lot more about them than I do, it never appeared that Pele's blackness was important to Brazilians, is that is that a simplistic way of looking at it from the outside looking in, or is that was that the truth? Brazil is very complicated in this respect, and obviously the comparison that you make here is between him and Muhammad Ali. Mm, exactly, yeah, that's, what, that's exactly. actually what's in my head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Muhammad Ali, who was willing, not only willing but did, give up the peak years of his career uh, oh. in order to, to take a, a political stance. You don't see that in the life of Pelé. You don't see any, anything, anything similar. Different countries. Mm-hmm. Ali has a movement behind him in which he can, he can draw inspiration, draw education, and, and have a backup there. That doesn't really apply in the case of, of Pelé. Uh, the, Brazil imported millions more enslaved people than the United States did. Millions more. And one of the consequences, and there are, there, are, there are a number of differences, but one of the consequences is that in the United States there was always a hard and fast line about who's black and who isn't. Yeah. And when that line exists, it's far easier to, keep, to, to mobilize as a movement. In Brazil, the lines are always more blurred. Remember that Brazil is colonized by Portugal, a tiny little country. It needs people. So even priests were told to go out and multiply. So you get all kinds of mixed racial things going on and exactly where the line is between white and black it, it, it's so it, it's an entirely different context yeah a much less collective society i think than argentina uh, in the comparison with maradona maradona always is an identification there that he makes with the collective be it be it the uh, poor people in the urban periphery in, in, in buenos aires or napoli uh, in, uh, in in the south of italy you don't find that in in Palais. Uh, Pelé, I'm, I'm confused about this issue myself because through Pelé, the world had an idea of Brazil as a country very much at ease of its, uh, with itself yeah. racially, yeah. racial democracy. That is an idea that no one these days would take seriously. Uh, it was a myth that the standing of Pelé helped Propagates. I'm not blaming Pele in any way, in any way, uh, um, for 
And, and there are some positive things in the myth. It's not entirely negative, because and this has happened before in the 30s with the samba musicians, and then in the late 60s with Pelé. Both two moments, it's the height of when Brazil is a, uh, has its most authoritarian regimes, the late 30s and the, and the late 60s. The black Brazilian, the Afro-descendant Brazilian, was part of the, imagina the, the imaginary nation. And there's something in that. I think that there, 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 is, there are some, although on the one hand it's a lie, and you even see that today in Brazilian football, where are the black coaches? And this is just football we're talking about. Mm. Where are the black coaches? You go to Colombia, there are lots of black coaches. You go to Brazil, it's very, very hard to find them. Um, the, the, the legacy of enslavement has proved extremely hard to overcome, not least because the end of, of enslavement didn't really mean progress for many of the slaves or the enslaved. It just meant they were, they were forgotten and a white labor force was imported for, for, from, from Europe. So the, the Afro-descendants have been on the bottom of society for, for a long, long time and precious little progress and perhaps even, even we've, we've been moving in the, in the opposite direction. Um, so that, that the idea of, of the racial democracy was always a myth. But I do think sometimes there is something positive. At least the black Brazilian, the Afro-descendant, belongs in the... In, at, has some place... Mm in the imaginary community of, of the nation. Yeah. Now, it's such an interesting discussion because you're right. There is, that, there is that the way we see from the outside world and, and there's representation there, but then there's also, there is also that problem with sports people being the only representation of yep. racial in the various different countries and how there is also that, that ease of how could I be racist? I, I love Muhammad Ali. And, you know, there's... You know, so, so it's just an interesting thought to me, and it was, it was especially when watching the documentary. It was how it was. It never seemed to be a factor. We should end before we go, Tim. And you've been so good with your time with football, and more kind of a positive note. I, I heard you describe him as, uh, you know, if you were to pick one footballer again, we won't have the greatest conversation, but that it would be Pele. I suppose the important thing today is when we look back, I've never seen Pele play live. I think he's even probably a little bit before your time, but we've watched it. I watched the 1970 World Cup final during lockdown. It's bad footage, everything. But what I just, what I couldn't take my eyes off was his, I suppose, his subtlety and the way he would just find that, just find that bit of space or, find, or little shimmies here and there that would just open everything up for him and then do the perfect thing with the ball afterwards that's about the limit of what i know but i think it is important on a day like this to say that like calling pele the greatest isn't just because we've always done it it's not a myth it was reality yes so if, if you really want to see him at his best because he's, he's still great in 70 yeah and i love the goal i've spoken to many of his teammates and they are unanimous that the goal that won that world cup was the one against england that won the game against england yeah and just the beautiful simplicity of the little pass he plays to Jairzinho. It's wonderful. And as the manager of that team, Zagallo, once said to me, this is the calm that other players have in the, in the centre circle. And he has it in the penalty area. Mm. So he was great in 1970. But physically he's passed his best. He's bulked up a little bit. And peak Pelé is running with the ball as an absolute force of nature. And the comparison that always uh, occurs in my mind, it, it's not like, uh, Maradona or Messi, 
where the ball is tied to the left foot. I always see the ball as, as something which is bouncing, like an obedient, happy puppy at his feet. Uh, and if, if you really want to see him at his peak, the footage, unfortunately, is far, far worse than anything from 1917. It's in black and white. Uh, but it was a big thing. This is the, uh, the final of the game between the champions of Europe and the champions of South America, which starts as a really big thing. And it's Benfica of Portugal against Santos of Brazil. Two legs. First leg in Brazil, Santos win 3-2. Benfica consider themselves the favourites for the second leg, back in Lisbon. This is the end of 62, the game that Pelé saw as, as the, the best of his career, yet again on a big occasion. He's a big occasion player. And if you look at this footage, it, it's like watching someone from another species. Uh, and he, he puts Santos 5-0 up. And he's just charging through them with all of the virtues, with, with sustained pace, with acceleration, with vision, with control of the ball. And it, it's, it's like watching an adult playing alongside little kids. And this is Benfica. And if you want to know why Portugal was so keen to kick him out of the World Cup in 1966, it's because they knew exactly what this madman could do. And they didn't want to let, they didn't want to let him do it. So if, if you watch that footage, sorry, the footage isn't great, but it's well worth watching anyway. Because you are seeing there someone, uh, probably I think the greatest ever to play the game, at the absolute peak of his powers. And that is uh, Tim Vickery. That is Tim Vickery, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, South American football writer for BBC Sport. And he was on with Mick McCarthy at the uh, Off the Ball show on Sky Sports over in the United Kingdom. That will do it for tonight's show. I once again want to honor the man who did so many wonderful things for the game as well as the game here in the United States playing in the NESL with the New York Cosmos. I want to thank my guests, Gustavo Guimaras of Territorio MLS and David Kilpatrick, the historian for the New York Cosmos as well as an American soccer historian for the Society of American Soccer History. Join me this coming Tuesday night. We get back into the swing of things for the first show of 2023 for the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. Once again, as always, enjoy your football. And for those from Brazil and for those that played with him in Brazil and for the Cosmos, um, my condolences to all of you. I'm very sorry for your loss, including his family. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football.